0: Speaking of eager, I have looked forward to the launch this morning of a new series. We're beginning this morning a new series on the book of Jonah. And if you look at Jonah, it's only 48 verses. The whole book, four chapters, 48 verses, it's very, very short. In the fall of 2015, we were... In the office, staff was in the office, and we were talking about uh, where we felt like we wanted to go in the preaching schedule. And we said that we knew that we had um, Advent season before us, and so we talked about focusing, focusing, focusing on the Advent of Christ. Then we said we're going to launch at the first of the year, and we're going to do this every year, We're going to watch a series focusing on prayer that we might not only see prayer as a noun and a subject, but that two rivers would become a people who prayed. Well then, that brought us up this week to Lent, the 40 days preceding uh, Easter. The 40 days where we observe with repentant hearts the price of our salvation as Christ systematically, intentionally, focused, step by step to go to the cross to pay that price, that terrible price on our behalf and then be buried and rose again to celebrate victory that we are now sons and daughters through his death on our behalf in place of our sins. Well, as I began to look at that, I thought, you know, a lot of times i 'll focus on those last days leading up to the the time that he 's betrayed in the garden that he's falsely tried by men that he's crucified and they they gamble at his at his feet and then they put him in an unmarked tomb and then that Easter morning crescendo that he rises again, but we 're in Jonah in the fall of this year, in my own personal devotions and in Bible reading i was struck where jesus in matthew 12 said to those that were demanding a sign how can we know that you're more than a good teacher how can we know that you really really are god because that's that's just fan, a fantastic claim we see the miracles we see Men that were born blind or, or deaf, we see uh, demons that are cast out. No man has been able to do that. But give us another sign. Show us, show us. And Jesus responded, I'm not going to give you any more signs. You're an adulterous generation. In other words, you're, you're, just, you're so sensual in your affections, you just love you just love the, the new illusions. You, you like magic. You, you like the signs and the wonders. And the, you like those things. But here's the sign that I will give you that I am who I say that I am the sign of Jonah. That's the sign. I give you the sign of Jonah. And he went on to explain that that sign has two aspects. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days, and then he was given life, and he came to life. He came to to life out of that darkness, which is the theme for our series. He said, just that's one part of it, but the other sign of Jonah is this. Nineveh, a great wicked city, an enemy to Israel, repented. Because God sent a man to them at the risk of his own life to a wicked pagan city that was an enemy of Israel, thus an enemy of the prophet Jonah. He sent the man and they repented. And they came to faith. They came to believe in a message of grace and mercy, and not judgment and condemnation. And that was the second part of the sign that we see how Jesus is a greater Jonah. And so we said, let's do that. Let's take six weeks and focus and see how we see in Jonah Jesus. And let's see how we see the message of the resurrection That those of us who have dwelt in darkness, God invades our space and He breaks through. He comes after us who are His enemies and He brings us life. That like Lazarus, He speaks. We hear and we walk out of the grave to newness of life. Now that's the series. That's, That's where we're headed. And this morning... I want you to see a couple of things. I want you to see this morning, if you've got an outline, that, Jesus, that Jonah runs away from God to a very dark place, and that it has two parts. That first of all, jo, Jonah determined to flee. And then secondly, I want you to see his flight and how he gets farther and farther and farther away. In other words, he goes forwards, but he's really going backwards, and that's what I want you to see this morning. Now, someone's going to say, "Now, wait, wait, wait a minute, Pastor Phil, you you you're away from your notes here." Uh, there's a second part. No, we've got one of the. Um, most of you are so wonderful. You're so wonderful. You are very kind to me. You say, "Listen, don't be so conscious of time. Just just keep preaching." As long as you don't bore us, as long as you got something good for us, just keep on going. But one of the the greatest ministries at Two Rivers is our ministry to children. This morning, um, we have children's church, and we have valued children's ministers, and so out of respect for them, I can't always go 45 minutes to 55 minutes to an hour in preaching because they get to a point that they really start praying. I mean, there's a prayer meeting going on in there. If you've ever, those that are are our children's worker on break this morning, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, oh, man, God help us. So we've got another little church going on. And so we try to, you know, out of respect for their time limits, we try to constrain as well. So I probably in all likelihood won't get to the second point. But guess what? That's good. That means the Lord's going to keep you alive until next week that you can get that second point that you've been sitting on the edge of the seat for. Alright, point number one. Jonah flees. Now, we beat Jonah up pretty good. But you need to understand who Jonah was. And you need to understand how this call impacted and rocked his world, that we might show some respect and love to Jonah. Jonah is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 14 verses 25 through 27, he is mentioned, and he is mentioned in heroic terms. A prophet is known as one who carries the word of God that has come to him. He carries it faithfully. He carries it truthfully. No matter if it's good news or bad news. And he is known for being a prophet if it comes true. He is known because God is true. If God has told me and now I tell you thus saith the Lord. And it doesn't come true. I'm deemed to be a false prophet. Jonah... The word, Jonah is a prophet during the time that kings, during the kings of Israel. And we read that this, the he here is Jeroboam. The king restored the border of Israel from Labohamath as far as the sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amadi. And that's what we have here. In Jonah verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Nothing new here about the word coming to Jonah because he was a true prophet of Israel. Same Jonah, same God, God's calling him to service again. He's been serving. He's not running from service. You with me? He's not running. We talk about him running from his call of his office as a prophet. No, he's not running from his call of office as a prophet. So it must be something else. Who was from Gath Hefer? This is important. Gath Heifer is in Nazareth. So imagine Nazareth. Uh, well, it's about three miles outside of Nazareth. But imagine Nazareth as an area where they have not seen a lot of prophets. And so for Jonah to be spoken to and for his prophecy to come true, he goes from kind of a rural landscape to be an all-star. Particularly when it comes true in this case, for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, was very bitter, there were none left, bond or free, there were none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. What's going on here? What's going on here is Jonah is called up like a hired, like a, like a gunslinger, a hero gunslinger, a good guy. And God says, I want you to go tell Jeroboam. Tell him they are afflicted, this land, and Jeroboam was a sinful king. That my people are oppressed and that I am going to work a work through you, Jonah. You are going to prophesy. You're going to speak to the hearts of my people. They're going to respond. They're going to believe you. They're going to put their confidence and their faith in me and not simply in kings. You're going to direct the the military activity of Jeroboam and they are going to no longer be a bitter, conquered, oppressed people. So Jonah did that. Yay! Hall of Fame for prophets. No weeping, sorrowful prophet here. He came, get this now, he came like a, a true Captain America. And Captain America comes and he says, I will lead you in the fight against the Germans, the evil Nazis. And Jonah, Captain America, says, let's go get those evil Germans. And so they rush off and they, they, they win. All right. God comes now to Jonah. And he says, I see Nineveh, Nazi Germany. And I see how evil they are. I want you to go to our enemies. That hated race, the Assyrians. I want you to go to Nineveh and preach, and not preach condemnation alone, not preach judgment, but preach for repentance. The very reason that God is sending uh, Jonah is given to us, and we don't have a slide for it this morning, but we're not left to wonder. It's it's in chapter four, if you have your Bibles. It's in verse 2. Jonah is praying to the Lord. Because now at this point, I'm fast forwarding. I'm not trying to ruin the plot for you. Jonah is probably the most famous. It's certainly one of the top three. But it's probably the most famous story in the Bible. Many, many, many people that have never set foot in a church know the story of Jonah. Or at least the the basic premise of a man being thrown overboard and swallowed by a, a, a fish and then vomited on shore. So he prayed to the Lord. And this is post Nineveh, Nazi Germany, repenting. They repented. He preached and they repented. And Jonah's upset about it. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Go all the way back. Verse 1, the Lord comes to Jonah in Nazareth. There he says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And he said, even then, though we don't have it recorded in the first chapter, he said, when I was in my country, it was like, I don't want to go. I will go to the people that I love. Captain America will come to oppressed Americans. I will go to them all day long. Repent. Trust God. Follow Him. God's love is upon you. You are His people. But I will not go To my enemy. I will not go to my people's enemy. I will not go to those arrogant, superior, affluent people who are our people's enemy. I've always, they stand for everything that I stand against. And they stand against everything that I stand for. So God, I don't want to be the tool because this is what you like to do. You like to convert your enemies. And I don't, frankly, want to be a tool for that. I flee. I'm going to retirement. I'm going to check out. Let somebody else do it. And I'm going to go as far away, and we're going to see this in just a second, in the flight as possible. You see here, there's a word that shows up In verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This week, I thought I'd be able, I made the outline earlier this week, and I thought, this is great. This This is, I mean, it's six verses. How difficult can that be? But this word presence haunted me. After making the outline and sending it to Justin to get it published and everything, this word has haunted me over and over again. I said, wow, I don't think I can get beyond three verses this week. I don't think that I can get beyond this word. Commentators make a big deal to say, look at Jonah. Look how, I mean, he's a prophet. He knows God. He knows God's words. God speaks to him. He's a faithful follower. Surely he knew that God of the universe, God over all creation, you can never physically outrun God. You can never go somewhere that God is not present. Doesn't he know that? And I mean, it was like scholar after scholar and preacher after preacher. And they said, what was Jonah thinking that he could physically Get out of the eye of God. What was he thinking that he could go someplace that God was not? I don't see it that way. The way I see it is through my own subjective lens. It's not a matter of geography for Phil Stogner to leave the presence of God. In fact, I have to be very spiritually self-aware to stay mentally engaged, mindful that God is ever present with me and I am ever in His presence. When I sin, when I sin, I find that I have lapsed into a moment that I think God is outside the door and I'm inside. I've left God behind. I've separated Him. I've run from God. I've run from His presence. When God gives me a nudge to love a very difficult person that I'm in relationship with, and I say, no, not yet. I run from His presence, His his Spirit, His moving, His desires. I move from His presence as I move away from him, as I move away from his desires, as I move away from his heart. Jonah left geographically. We leave not necessarily geographically, though we can leave geographically. One of the ways that we leave without leaving geographically, is we look at a situation and we become the judge rather than God being the judge of the situation. Here, Jonah had God's clear, leading, word, precept, command, law, instruction, direction, and he said, I don't want to go. That's too difficult. That's too hard. That's too much a sacrifice. Um... If you want, don't do it now. But if you want to know where present-day Nineveh is, it's interesting. Nineveh still exists. In fact, you, can, you could Google, don't do it now, you could Google, Google uh, Nineveh in the news. In all likelihood, what's going to come up is Mosul. Mosul is Nineveh. Mosul is in the news every day for the latest beheading. Our journalist who was killed. Our police force was killed. Mosul is in northern Iraq. And the Iraqis, as well as others and we have joined in, are trying to fight and recapture Mosul from ISIS that occupies it right now. We have politicians who would say, and I'm not going to debate the merit of this, I just want to try to give you a sense of what Jonah was struggling with, Jonah was struggling with the fact that these were their Israel mortal enemies. And we have politicians now that talk about, let's just carpet bomb them. Let's just wipe them out. Now, the sermon's not about the merits of that or whether that's a good thing, a bad thing, necessary thing. But we don't have anybody saying, hey, sign me up to be a missionary to Mosul, you know. I want to leave Daniel Island, I want to leave Kiowa. I want to, go to Dan- I want to go to Mosul, man. I want to give up. I want to give up all my life to go. Would you go if God called? If God called you to leave your home, would you go to Chicor Cherokee? I don't think those people those people are, uh, you know the African-American community and Chacor Cherokee. we don't really look at them as enemies. We just look at them as a different culture. Jonah was called to an even greater sacrifice. Who's your enemy? Who do you hate? Who do you want to see get what they deserve? That's who Jonah is called to. And he says, I don't want to go there. I want them to get what they deserve. And Jonah says, see you," And to, to leave The presence of God means, I'm not going to obey. I'm no longer going to follow you. And he begins to become more and more and more distant. Look at what he does. It says that he, in verse 3, he went down to Joppa. Now, Joppa was about 50 miles away. So in his flight, he's going to get farther and farther and farther away. James uh, chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 says that blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. In other words, God says I love, I adore, I dote on those that share my heart and that are steadfast. They hang on to me in a trial and let no man say when he's tempted i'm being tempted by god for god cannot be tempted with evil and himself tempts no one what does that look like it sounds like a riddle we know a couple of things about god and one thing is is that god directs our life by his law by his commands by the gospel God speaks and He gives us direction. He gives us instructions. He says, this is what a Christian man or woman, this is what a son or daughter of light look like. Look at Jesus. Look at you. I'm bringing you there. This is the way to walk. You're people of the way. There's a way to walk. And not only am I going to direct your life, but I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to give you opportunities. I'm going to give you blessings. I'm going to give you open doors. Does God tempt us? Does He not tempt us? Charles Spurgeon says that when you set God's provision for your life, let's call it open doors, when you set that first over what God's direction for your life is, that you have set God against God. God is both. But he doesn't fight. God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't tempt us with an opportunity. He doesn't tempt us with an out of hardship. This is big, guys. You know why? Every one of us this last week, I dare say every one of us this last week, has run from God. And we have said, my way, not your way. God has directed us. He's nudged us. For some, he's spoken more forcefully. For some, he's spoken very clear. Some, it's been a small voice, and he says, I want this. We say, no, it hurts. No, I don't want to. No. Why, look at, I don't have to. Look, you're, oh, I knew you were going to get me out of that. Look at this opportunity over here. I can go and do this, so I don't have to do that. Think about it. God does provide does open doors the classic that that i have heard and i thank god that so far in the ministry here at two rivers that i've not had this awful awful encounter with a man but in previous ministry i would have men that would come to me and say preacher i just want you to know that i'm leaving my wife I'm leaving my wife because the kids are now out of the house. There is no debt that has to be managed. We both want a divorce. I've got someone new in my life. And so I think with all of these, with all of these circumstances, God is saying, okay, you can honorably leave the marriage. What's happened? A provision of no debt? That's great. A provision of kids out of the house? woohoo That's by God. But you can't put that first against His precept that says, marriage, marriage is for life. You can't put that first. And that's what I believe was taking place with Jonah's receding flight. Look again at James. This time, James... 14 and 15. Look at how sin works in your life. Now what is sin? Sin is my will be done, not your will be done. Sin is my rebel sin is God saying, "Walk this way," and me saying, "No." It hurts. I don't like your way. Each person is tempted when he's lured. You know, I'm I'm not a real good fisherman, but a lure looks like the fish or the fish food that you want to catch the fish with. allure has a big hook. Um, precious remedies for Satan devices. One of, the, one of the devices that was listed was that Satan always shows us the bait, but he's very careful to hide the hook. So that's how sin... Sin is attractive initially. It looks like, wow. And particularly if we as a Christian... We as a Christian can justify it. Well, wow, I wouldn't be doing this unless God... I mean, God wouldn't allow it unless... He, I mean, God gave me the opportunity, so surely this is what He wants me to do. Enticed by His own desire. So that lure is like Eve looking at the, the apple and she's saying, you know what? It looks good for food. And I want it. So what's happened to God's precept to not eat the forbidden fruit? She's put that in the background. She's no longer thinking about that. She's thinking about inopportunity. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Look at Jonah moving forward backwardly. Alright? He gets up and he flees. He has a plan in mind to go to Tarshish. And this plan is in his mind for over 50 years. Uh, miles by foot. It's 50 miles from Nazareth to Joppa by foot. Now that's probably a good hiker, I would say, at least two, if not three days. He is undeterred. This is what I'm going to do. God has spoken. His God. God has spoken to him clearly. And it's not about him following uh, God's call. It's the object. It's the object that he would go to. In other words, he would say, This gospel, this good news that I in Israel experience, it's good for me, but it's too good for these other people. Let me get what I don't deserve, let them get what they do deserve. And he steals himself with every every step. And then, lo and behold, opportunity. Wow, there is a ship in Joppa, actually, here. Going to Tarshish. Now, if you could imagine, if, if, the ge- if you could be transported right now to the geographic mindset of that day, Tarshish was as far west. It was as far as a ship could go. A ship with passengers. After that is where on the map they draw those sea monsters. It's the unknown. Tarshish was as far away From where God first spoke to him, as it could be. Again, James, what happens in my sin? What happens when God is trying to lead me and call me and and have me abide in his presence? I began to step away father and father and father. And I don't think that I've ever left God. I don't I know that God still exists, but I feel like I'm distancing myself, and so God has less weight of presence. He paid the fare. He just happened to have the right amount of money. He went on board, and then he went to sleep. And we'll look at that uh, next week as we begin to talk about uh, Jonah and his ability to sleep in that situation. But Jonah, as I had mentioned earlier in chapter 4, Jonah is at the point, where God's call to Him doesn't match His own desires. And that happens to me a lot. What was God's desire? God's desire was to come to send a messenger to a people who were sinful, who were evil, who were wicked, who were his enemy, who were as in the dark as could possibly be, and bring them at least the opportunity by the message of his word, an opportunity for life. And that is grace. Jonah was not sent to condemn them or judge them. He was was sent to reveal to them the living God. And we'll see that in the weeks ahead. But he was resistant to go to a people that he did not like. I am too. So let's send let's the message here. Let's all feel miserable. And let's go home. What's the gospel? There's a greater Jonah. There's a greater Jonah. Jesus, when he was called by God to go to a people who were sinful, evil, and his enemies, he said, yes, I'll go. When he was called to go to a people who so hated God that it would risk his own life, was willing to not only go at the risk of his life, but he was willing to go and die. Jesus Greater than Jonah was crucified by the very people that would cry out and curse him and curse God and he would look upon them and he would still preach from the cross. He would say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He would die for the very people that were killing him. He's a greater Jonah. When he was put, into a borrowed grave. He was put into a dark tomb for three days, left for dead as an unknown. There, were no, there was no great fanfare over his passing. Just a group of huddled disciples scared to death that they might be found out as his followers. But he was a greater Jonah because those very people that he died for, he came back for by bursting forth from the grave and saying, I have paid the price for all your enmity as enemies of God and now I give you life. Jonah ran. This Jonah did not run. This Jonah did not run. And we are the beneficiaries of his not running. The only run he made was running to us. At this table, you have an opportunity to see the presence of God. A presence of God that we are often found running from. But the gospel is that God, we'll see this next week, but that God ran after Jonah. He didn't just say, well, forget you, you unworthy, ingrate servant. All I've done for you, hero, prophet, and then when it gets tough, you're running. Forget you. He doesn't. He's ever, ever in the grace business. And he was enlisting Jonah. Great privilege to be in the grace business. This table communicates to us in a mysterious fashion strength that we may be steadfast and firm in our faith. And at the difficult calls that come to us by God, we may humbly bow our head and say, just as another Jonah did not run by his life, by his running into my life, by his being steadfast, strengthen me by his life that I may not run and I may carry and live out this gospel of grace that is mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Jonah that did not run. I thank you for the forgiveness that is ours when we do run. And I ask that you would set aside these elements now, that this bread and this cup would strengthen me to stand firm and to walk into others' lives with this gospel, for that is your heart. As you call... And as you lead, for you are present with us. And this table communicates, Jesus, that you have not left us alone. That you are ever present, ever speaking, ever directing, ever strengthening us. As we take note again and again of the deep price that you paid for our forgiveness. And for grace, for grace to be received by us. And so we ask your blessings in Christ's name. Amen.